Philo community, welcome to the Philo podcast. We're here to help you become more effective so that your church can become more effective. It's basically, you know, kind of what gets us out of bed in the morning. And when I think of the lack of resources I had as a technical director at my church way back in the day, I love that I get to spend my life changing that for people coming along after me. And I spent a lot of time back in the day cold calling churches, trying to connect with their TD and hopefully get a chance to learn something from how they did stuff. And now, you know, we have access to all of that kind of stuff through this podcast and through our conferences and the book and all that stuff. But during the podcast conversations, you know, I get to ask all the questions that I had as a TD, struggling to understand, you know, the mind of my worship leader or wondering, you know, how to keep the lobby TVs from shutting off. I mean, all kinds of things. And so another way that you can pick the brain of someone who's been where you are is by coming to the Philo Conference. It's on May 7th and 8th. And you can go to our website to see all the faculty that's coming this year and all the different topics they'll be covering. The Philo Conference, you know, it's not only just a goldmine for information about how to do your job better, but it's a chance to connect with others just like you and to be in a community of people who understand the challenges you face because they do too. It's so important to realize that you're not alone and especially when you might be the only person at your church making production things happen. So some of the learning categories we've been building on from last year is the lunch and learns and the intensives. The lunch and learns happen during lunch, surprisingly, from the title, on Wednesday. And it's really a great way to learn something while eating a free lunch. So the intensives happen on the morning before the conference, and they're a longer form learning environment from the normal Philo breakouts. And you can register for both of these while you're registering for the Philo conference. And if you've already registered, you can go back to your registration and you can add those. And as a reminder, as a listener of the podcast, you can use the code PODCAST10, lowercase podcast, and the number 10 to get 10% off any ticket. So let's get to our podcast. My guest today is Nathaniel Smith. He's the video producer at Turning Point Church in McDonough, Georgia, just south of Atlanta. So let's just dive right in. Nathaniel Smith, how's it going? It's going good. It's nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We know each other from Cohort World. We were in a cohort together, must have been a couple years ago now. Yeah, I think it was one of the first ones, like maybe the second one. Sure, yeah. I don't remember what year they started. Yeah, we started right at the end of 2020, so it must have been right after that. So yeah. We go way back, three years now, that is. <laughs> Where, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's, it honestly doesn't seem like it's been that long. Like when I right. think about it, I'm like, there's no way it's been three years since I did my first cohort, but it has. Yeah. So I think I've done, I think I'm about to start my fifth one. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think I've only missed one or two. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think you're part of the 201 level cohorts. Yep. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Me too. I'm excited. Yeah. Why don't you tell everybody what it is you do and your story of how you ended up getting to this place? Yeah. So I oversee all of production here at Turning Point in McDonough, Georgia. And I've actually been part of Turning Point since 2012. I came as a student and um, the church I was coming from had kind of had some shifts in the student ministry. And so me and my brother just didn't feel like that was the space for us anymore. And so we started visiting and coming on Wednesday nights to Turning Point. And um, I had little experience in production, but the youth pastor that was here at the time kind of threw me in. I got there for like my first time. <laughs> my brother had been a couple times. I hadn't been yet. It was my first night and I got there. They were doing rehearsal for the worship team. My brother was playing acoustic guitar they didn't have a sound person. Their sound person hadn't gotten there yet. Okay. And of course, my brother being the brother that he is, is like, my brother does tech. Like at the old <laughs> church, he can do it. You know? And so 
I was like, all right, you know, and so I didn't have what you would consider a professional experience, but I guess it was good <laughs> enough for them. We had some old analog Allen & Heath console that Love was it. like taller than I was at the time, you know, and uh-huh. that kind of started my journey. And from there, you know, I just, me and that youth pastor at the time really connected. And so he mentored me and I uh, spent a lot of time doing tech. And then he even kind of got me involved in the creative areas and I started doing video and video editing. And so okay. through my time, I started as a small group leader. Eventually I ended up leading the as a student and right out of high school, I actually ended up being the leader for our student tech team. Okay. Just kind of overseeing that, doing all the scheduling and, and kind of developing those guys. And then, you know, just through a series of events, did some internships, got hired here in 2016, actually to be on the creative staff okay. as a videographer. Okay. And so I did videography, all the, all things video was, was my department, my realm. That was everything that I handled. As we kind of have grown, I've always had a hand in the production stuff. We didn't have necessarily a a dedicated production director over the years. And so it was kind of like anytime the worship people who were kind of overseeing production needed help in production, they would come grab me. Okay. Sure. In 2021, we realized that we really wanted to make some strides in production. So in 2021 is actually when I took over production full time and that became kind of my sole role. So I moved out of the video world and really the reasoning for that was the experience that I had in production, but then also from the element of like a lot of what we needed help with was our video. And so I haven't always been the best when it comes to the audio side of things, but I've always been really good with the lighting and the video. And so that was kind of where we needed help at the time. And so, yeah, I stepped in there in 2021 and just have kind of been leading that team ever since. Nice. Because you were the videographer, did you get sucked into pulling off services in 2020? Or, I mean, Georgia, I don't know, maybe there was no COVID uh, down there, you know, the shutdown (laughs) didn't last very long. And was that part of your journey then to 2021? It made sense for you to jump in. So kind of interesting part of our story. I don't always go into it because it's a long part of the story, <laughs> but me and my wife got married in 2019. So my wife also came to Turning Point around the same time. We led student ministry together, did all kinds okay, of things. We're interns awesome. together. And so just through that made a connection, ended up getting married. And so we actually got, my wife was pregnant through the end of 2019. And so going into 2020, my wife was pregnant, but we really felt for some reason, we weren't sure. Maybe it was COVID, maybe it was, you know, whatever else, but we really felt God pulling us away from the church oh, for a season. Okay. And so we actually, in 2020, January 2020 was our last day. Oh, wow. At Turning Point. Okay. We left staff. Okay. Two months before my wife was supposed to deliver. Okay. And not really sure what we were doing, but we just knew that we felt like we weren't supposed to be here anymore. Oh, interesting. Okay. So through 2020, it really allowed us to be with our daughter. I just kind of had a random job that was providing income, but not a ton of like, it wasn't something that took necessarily the dedication that being a a ministry leader took, you know? Right. And so I think it was kind of God's hidden blessing to give us that time with our daughter. And through a season of chaos, my daughter was actually born the first week that they kind of shut down visitors to hospitals. Okay. (laughs) And so, you know, we're having a child and none of our family is allowed to be there, which believe it or not, kind of turned out to be a blessing in disguise because, you know, sometimes everybody wants to be at the hospital as soon as it happens. Sure. Yeah. And we really got like that time to just be with our, our daughter there. It was very interesting the way God did it. We were off staff for eight months. So we always make a joke around here. We say that we just took an eight month sabbatical, you know, (laughs) like we took a COVID sabbatical. 
Yeah. Because we thought that we were just going to be members here and we were waiting for God to show us what was next, you know? Okay. All right. And so come September of 2020, we felt like churches were starting to reopen and we just felt like God was saying, hey, your your season isn't done there yet. Oh, and we're like, well, then why'd you ask us to leave? You know, like <laughs> there's some other things that like we had just been doing ministry for so long. I think we were tired. We probably needed a sabbatical. Sure. I think, yeah, yeah. I think we, 2020 was really a season where we got to work on ourselves. We got to work on our hearts. And I think that, you know, we sat down with our with our pastors and just said, hey, we don't feel like our season is up here and we're not sure what we're supposed to do with that. You know, okay. like, but we wanted to let you know and see if maybe God is speaking the same thing to you. And if he is, let us know what you want us to do. And we really felt called at that time that we were just supposed to be here. We didn't know what the role looked like. We didn't know what it was supposed to be. We just knew we were supposed to be here. Uh-huh. And so I actually, for like a month, started doing some kind of like contract video work and just kind of filling some gaps that they had on the team. And then towards the end of September, beginning of October, we actually came back on staff. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of kind of an interesting journey, kind of an interesting part of that story because COVID looked completely different for us, you know? Yeah. And so I really do think it was God giving us some time to be a family and grow our family, you know, and grow who we were and just spend some time because we were also very newly wed, you know? And so sure. like we're newly wed, we're having a baby, you know, and I, so I think it was just a season for us to grow and connect together. And so, yeah, so we really only got the backside of COVID. So we got the coming back to church, social distancing in the lobby, you know, like we have a thousand uh-huh. seat auditorium with like 150 people sitting in every, like all in their own row, you know, right, like right. <laughs> we did have some of those experiences. And really the reason they brought me back on staff was because at the time our production infrastructure wasn't really great. And so like our live experiences weren't great. Okay. And so we actually spent a season pre-recording everything. And so we would do these once like once a month recordings where I would basically hire a team of videographers. We would shoot worship pre-recorded. So we'd run the same song twice with a clicking guide so that they're, you know, basically identical. We'd run seven cameras, we'd record everything. And then I would basically spend 40 to 50 hours a week sitting down and putting these videos together so that we had really great worship. We were sending off the multi-tracks to get mixed and mastered and everything. And so we started doing pre-recorded services. Then we were then just, you know, letting Resi make a live stream. Yeah, okay. And so it just gave us the ability to have a really excellent experience that we could do without having to worry about spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to upgrade the infrastructure right. of our main auditorium. Yeah. So then was the transition back from COVID then needing to try to match the same level of excellence that you were able to achieve online? Yeah. So that was kind of where we ended up was we can't continue to do this because yeah. now you're basically paying me to be here for 40 plus hours a week solely to create a weekend experience. Yeah. You know, like one, like I'm producing, albeit a very in-depth video, I'm producing one video a week. Yeah, so you're yeah. paying someone to literally produce a single video a week. And so really the biggest thing was we just realized that we didn't want to continue that because it didn't allow us to be personal in the way that we were doing things. It didn't allow us to connect with the online community as much because the experience they were having was different than the experience of that. So yeah, a lot of that time post-COVID was, okay, how do we translate this back into live stream. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
We spent some, kind of decided what are the most vital things we need to spend money on. We demoed a couple different cameras, and so we ended up buying, you know, Canon C300s. Actually connected with a Canon rep at Philo. Okay, yeah. And we love the Canon line. We love all the Canon cameras. We All of our videographers use them. All of our photographers use them. And we just kind of thought they were out of our price range. We're like, oh, we don't really need to spend that kind of money. Right. And I met a rep at Philo and at the conference, and he was like, well, he's like, would you be interested in me coming out and doing a demo for y'all? And I told him, I'm like, actually, yeah, I said, because you don't really have to sell me. I know this is what I want. Right. I said, but, you know, it's it's a hard sell because of the price jump. Yeah. It's a hard sell for, you know, the people that I report to, basically. Right. And he said, well, let me come in and do a demo so they can see the difference. And yeah. I said, okay, let's do it. So we actually set up a demo, came in, did a did the demo of the cameras. Our pastor watched it, and like three days later, we were making the purchase. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so he saw the video and was like, it's astronomically different. Let's buy it. You know, yeah. let's spend the money. And so, you know, we spent some different money in areas like that, upgrading cameras and stuff, because we were still running the like original Blackmagic Ursa Minis, that you can only, there were like three options for gain and that was it. You know, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like you have kind of dark, a little brighter <laughs> and way too bright to use. You know, that yeah, was yeah. like the only settings you had. And so, so we upgraded from those. So it was a huge leap and that really gave us a lot of the video quality we wanted. So then it was really just getting the right people in position, the right people in place to yeah. run those cameras and, and kind of move towards that more like, we really wanted to have that more like cinematic worship experience. And so trying to transition that from sitting down and editing essentially 14 cameras together to Oof. I've got four live cameras that I got to make look like, you know, a million dollars. Sure, so, yeah. Yeah, so we spent some time investing there, investing in training people and kind of building people up and then, you know, just just kind of went forward from there. Yeah, nice. Since having your your one daughter, any more kids since then? No, no more kids since then. This is uh-huh. actually kind of a um, an interesting part of mine and my wife's story. Our daughter's basically a honeymoon baby, you know? Okay, uh-huh. And we thought going into marriage, my wife has some different health issues that because of them, we were expecting it to be very difficult for us to get pregnant. Uh-huh. And both of us knew that we wanted kids wanted a, a decent, we didn't want a huge family, but we wanted a decent sized family. You know, we weren't going to be a one and done family. Yeah. You know, going into marriage, we just kind of decided like, we're not going to ever not try because we're expecting this to be a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, you know, get pregnant on our honeymoon. We're like, what in the world? You know, like, <laughs> you know, and so we, we call her our miracle baby because we never expected that to be our experience. You know, sure. we were prepared yeah. for this. We had hardened our hearts. We had put up walls for this, long drawn out experience of trying to have a kid and it was that easy, you know? Right. So flip side of that coin is since then, all of the struggle that we had kind of prepared for, we, you know, broke down the walls and, and, and stopped the, you know, we broke down the walls and had, you know, kind of softened our hearts again of like, okay, well, God's going to do this, you know? Yeah. yeah. The flip side of that coin is that since then we haven't been able to conceive. Yeah. Okay. And so it's been kind of this, Everything that we had hardened our hearts for, we've gone through a season where a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of tears cried, a lot of, of hard days, you know, because we thought here we're like, well, he's going to give us everything we wanted, you know? And so it's been a, it's been an interesting journey of, of coming out of that and coming to this place where, 
you know, now we're, we're going through that struggle. And so we're in kind of just in a season of, of waiting and hoping, believing. Sure. We really feel like, I think a lot of it maybe, you know, we're kind of believing maybe God has a different timeline for whatever reason. You know, yeah, we don't yeah. know what that may look like. We don't know what that may be. So yeah, none sense, but we definitely still want more. I think for us, we're really putting some value this year in. We've changed our language just kind of through prayer, through the way that we've been, you know, through this season, we've kind of changed our language from having another child to growing our family. And so for us this year, it's a big goal for our family to grow, whether that means that we're adopting or whether that means that we're conceiving, you know, either way we're going to grow our family, you know? And so we've always wanted, we didn't plan to adopt like a second child, but we had always planned to adopt possibly even foster down the road in the future. Sure. And so for us, it was like, I guess it's time to grow our family either way, you know, like we'll, we'll just start taking steps. And if we conceive along the way, awesome. If not, we're going to continue to grow our family because there are, for us, it's not necessarily about having kids that have our blood, you know, like we just want to grow our family. And so, you know, there's plenty of kids that need great homes. And so for us, we want to spend some time this year kind of investing in that and figuring out what we need to do sure. either way. So, yeah. Okay. How did you handle that transition or even just like, okay, what does it mean now to have family time to invest in my family, but I'm also like super busy over here? Yeah. So it was it was definitely an interesting shift. So luckily my wife didn't go back to work full time okay. right away. So as we were kind of coming back into the office, there were a couple other people on staff that had younger children. And so my wife actually came on staff part-time as we almost like, almost to do like daycare for the staff children. And so it was like, we can either pay for these people to have a daycare benefit, or we can just pay someone to come in and watch them. And it'll add up to about the same, it'll actually be cheaper and so the, my wife was part-time to just come in. And because we were post-COVID, we were only in the office like two or three days a week okay. versus like four or five days a week. Sure. And so my wife was part-time. She would come in and do basically childcare those couple of days a week. And so it was definitely an interesting shift. It was kind of nice because our daughter was still with us, you know, like she didn't go anywhere. And sure. so like yeah, she was yeah. still in the building, still had access. And so we were definitely kind of blessed in that, in that it made that transition a lot easier. Sure. But there definitely were some dynamics of like refiguring out life yeah. as I came back on staff. And so, you know, it was one of those things of everyone knows in the worship and production creative world that our schedules are never like normal, you right, know? Right. And so yeah. we just kind of had to figure out with me going back, you know, there were, there were projects that it's like, Hey, this has to be, this has to be done by Sunday. And so there were nights where I was having to work late that kind of created some tension. And I think the biggest thing that we figured out that helped us through that season was we actually created a like, hey, this is a day that I don't have to tell you what time I'm going to be home. Yeah, okay. Every other day, every other day, I'm going to walk out. So like, you know, we work nine to five. And so it was like every day I'm going to walk out this door before 915. Uh-huh. You know, like, but this day, if I don't leave this building until 930, I don't leave this building till 930. Sure, or if I don't yeah. leave this building till 10 o'clock, you know, like sure. I don't leave this building till 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. And so... That really helped because it gave us that time of like, you know, I'm going to be home. Yeah. You yeah, know, you know, yeah. I'm going to be home. And when I have to work late, you're expecting that I'm going to work late, you yeah. know? And so 
that really helped us in that dynamic of, you know, kind of figuring that out and, and being able to do that. And so my wife also suffered a little bit of like, I don't, I don't know what it's necessarily called. Some of it is related to postpartum depression, but like she would get sensory overload. Uh-huh. And so like a lot of that too is getting home in the afternoons and being able to give her, you know, kind of a, kind of a break where she can go and, and chill out for a minute where she's not, you know, cause with a newborn, it's physical contact all day, every day, almost 24 yeah, seven. Yeah. So <laughs> she would, she would literally just get to a point where she was like, like, I need to just not be taking care of someone or touching someone like sure, touching yeah. me for a minute. And so, you know, it was good to, I would go home and we, we had this like intentional time where when I would get home, I'd spend like the first hour at home with our daughter and just kind of spend time with her. And then we were all able to kind of sit down and eat dinner and, and kind of connect as a family. Sure. But yeah, it was definitely, definitely a big shift going back <laughs> to, you know, working where, you know, there's this dynamic of me being gone and having a job that's not set hours, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know for me, thinking back to the times when my kids were smaller, my wife and I had sort of had an agreement. Dinner is at six. So like get yourself home yep. by six. The other thing though, is that we had a Wednesday night service and by the time that thing was going, my kids were in bed. So like nobody's really missing me. So I'm just going right. to work. And so I would generally be editing videos late into the night on Wednesday nights because, you know, if I get home at one in the morning or two in the morning or whatever, no one's going to know the difference. I mean, I'm going to feel yeah. it in the next, you know, the next day, but this is the kind of the night to just sort of crank out the work. And yeah, having that sort of built into the schedule was definitely helpful in those early years. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we've taken a lot of what we learned in that season and it's, it's even helped us in this season, you know, with like being in production, especially when we get into like stage build weeks and things where it's like, Hey, like when I tell you this has to be done by Sunday, like it literally has to be done by Sunday or we don't have service, you know? And so we, we've taken a lot of those things. And one of the things that one of my mentors taught me early on in our marriage was I would talk to him about like, I'm like, you know, in a perfect world, I work nine to five and I come home that's not always the reality that I live in, you know? Yeah. And so me and him had this conversation because I remember being frustrated of like, I get that you need me home, but I also have to do my job. Right, you know, like right. I also have to do this because this is how we provide for our family. Right. So I remember one time talking with him and he was sharing, because he's also in ministry and he was sharing that for him. The big thing is, his wife knows they sit, he's like, you have to be intentional to sit down and have conversations coming up into those seasons Yep. where, Hey, I need you to understand that this season is not going to be normal for us and it's going to suck for a little bit. You yeah. know, like it's not going to be fun, Yeah. but when the season is over, we're going to take some time to intentionally connect. We're going to take some time away. And so we started doing typically like the week after Easter, we're off. Yep. Like I take off and I'm home, whether that means that she's home with me or whether that means that I'm home just taking care of the house because we've both been working and I've been working extra. And so the house hasn't been taken care of and just getting our life back on track. I always take off the week after Easter. I always take off the week after Christmas. And then also we have a really big event that we do every year is our women's conference. Okay. And so that's usually like a couple 50, 60 hour weeks back to back. Yep. And so we always do like, I always take the week after that off. And yeah. whether we go on family vacations or not, doesn't matter, but it's just taking that time to say, hey, this time is yours. You can do whatever you want to yeah. with it, you know? 
I mean, I think it's so important to be intentional about the time that you have. You know, my boss wants me to be healthy and take vacations and, you know, invest in my family, but they're not going to figure it out for me. And so if you have the vacation time, it's important to, to make a plan for it. And, you know, like to say I'm taking the week after Easter off is great, but if you don't really plan for it, then, you know, you're right. probably not going to take it. You're just going to roll right into the next week. And so, yeah, I love that idea of just about we're going to work hard and then we're going to take a break. I would say I, I've been really bad at that in my own life recently. Starting in 2024, I sat down with my wife like, okay, here are the hard parts. Here are the days I'm taking <laughs> off. Here, you know, the, uh, make sure that, okay, we're going to plan a vacation on these days. And yeah, whether we go anywhere or not is not the point. But the point is to block out the time so that – because, I mean, I think in all of our lives – it will fill up with something if it's not already yeah. blocked out. And so block it out now so that at least you have a chance that you'll you'll be able to take the time, yeah, when it comes. Which I actually learned from my wife's dad. One thing that he's always done from the t time that we've been together, I've always seen him do this, is you, I mean, you just said it, like just because I'm taking that time off doesn't mean I have to go anywhere. Right. You know, like, yeah. like most people think that just because I'm taking this time off, it means I have to go somewhere and do something. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's like, hey, you just literally need to have a week to, as Alex always says, I just need a week to have a potato, like a potato week where I just sit around <laughs> and I'm a couch potato. Eat potatoes? You know, I don't have oh, a couch set, potato. Yeah. I, don't have a, I don't have a set agenda. I can do whatever I want to that day, you know. Right, right. But also the thing that I've kind of learned for him is like there's this whole list of, you know, every every man has this this list of, home improvement projects that exist yeah. that it's either something you want to do, something the wife wants to do, whatever it may be. Yeah. And you never have time to do it because it's like when I'm home, I need to spend time with my family. I don't need to be, you know, like yeah. fixing up the house or doing home improvement projects. And so the thing that I learned from my wife's dad is he actually takes time off to do home improvement projects. Yeah, that's smart. So he's like, I'll just take a, he'll just take a week off and he's like building bookshelves and replacing window trim and like painting, you know, exterior, like, shutters or whatever and yeah you know and so i actually learned that from him it's like so a lot of times that week after easter i'm a big lawn dad i like for my lawn to look right and yeah so okay <laughs> usually that week after easter is kind of the week i take and it's like the week that i work outside yeah it's like yeah. i'm gonna do all my fertilizer treatments i'm gonna do any of the landscaping that needs to be done for the spring you know yeah. and that's usually the perfect time of year to do those things and so like even that it's it's not necessarily a week where i'm taking off and i'm going somewhere but I'm just taking time away from work to rest, to to do things that are going to help my family, that are going to be fun to me. And so, yeah, so for me, even in that, like I've I found the like week to week of like, it's not, it's not selfish to do something you enjoy. Right. Yeah. And I think that's like a battle as a, as a parent, as a husband, it's like you feel so much responsibility to provide for these people, to take care of these people. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time back towards, gosh, it's been over a year, like July or August of, of 2022. I actually started doing counseling weekly because the weight of just life sure. and production and home and everything, like the weight just got so heavy. Like I was, I was starting to have like anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And I was like, I've got to do something different. And so I'm a, I'm definitely a huge advocate for that. I'm definitely a hu huge advocate for counseling. Like it's not weird. Just go do it. You know, like yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so many people think it's a weird thing. I'm like, just, just go do it. It's not weird. Yeah. It's, it's actually helpful, you know? And I think like whether you have a small, you know, young family or a small family or big family or an old, old kids or whatever, 
I think there's something to be said for taking care of yourself. That's also something that's not going to automatically happen. And I feel like to get the best version of yourself at work and the best version of yourself for your wife or spouse, the best version of of yourself to be a dad or a mother, you need to figure out how to invest in yourself. And so whether it's counseling or a hobby, you know, like for you working in the yard, like there's something that that's life-giving in that. And I would argue makes you better at the other things in your life. Working in the, in your yard has nothing to do with your job. There's no resemblance to kind of what you do as a production person. It's just something completely different. I think it's good for our mental health. There's probably some kind of science too, about the connections in our brain, like forming new connections. And, but I think it's so easy when I think about my life when I was younger and my kids were younger, I spent a lot of time at work and that was the only thing I was doing. It was work at home. And I wasn't really, I wasn't much use for anybody, you know, like I wasn't thriving at work. I wasn't thriving at home. And, you know, as part of it was, I wasn't investing any sort of time in myself in those years. Yeah. I think one of the greatest things that I've kind of learned, you know, everyone has this idea of like work-life balance and that like I have to give equally at home and at work. The first time I ever heard someone talk about it, it was actually um, Simon Sinek talked about it and he was sharing. He said, I've never expected my employees to have balance between work and life. Yeah. He said, because I also, as a, you know, he was saying that also he as a boss knows that sometimes I'm going to have to ask more of them which means they're going to have less for their family. Yeah. And in return, I need to understand that sometimes they're going to give me less because their family needs more. Yeah. And so he's talking about, you know, if I have an employee that has a kid that's at daycare that has to be picked up by a certain time, but we're working on a project, they can they can go pick up their kid. Go pick up your kid. Hop, mm-hmm. hop back on once you get home or, or bring your kid back to work and let them hang out in the office. Whatever you need to do. Because work-life balance, like, it doesn't exist. And so that's one of the things I've been extremely blessed to be part of a team and part of a a church where my leadership understands what goes into what we do, you know? Yeah. And so they understand that if it's not Easter Glisten, which is our women's conference, Christmas or Warrior, which is our men's conference, like, like stage build weeks, whatever, I'm probably not working 40 hours a week, you know? Like, I'm probably clocking in at nine and clocking out at three thirty or four. Yeah. But you also know that once it hits those weeks that I'm going to be putting in the work to get it done Sure. in my family, you know? And so I think for me, it's been learning to like, stop, stop trying to get balance. Like there's never going to yeah. be balance and start understanding that there's seasons where my family yeah. needs more of my time. There's seasons where my job needs more. Was that hard for you to do that? I mean, walking out of the building at three thirty sounds like, I mean, I can remember the times that I did it like feels impossible uh, or, you know, well, just it like, feels like you're cheating. Yeah. Or it feels <laughs> like I'm walking by all these people that are still working and I'm leaving the building, but nobody knows I worked, you know, a 12 hour day yesterday or whatever. Yeah. I just think having the discipline and it is like it's a self-discipline thing to be able to say, hey, crushing it for the men's conference, taking it easy the next week is not you're not cheating anyone. But it also no one's going to really push you out the door at 330 either. And I grew up with a family that values hard work a lot. So like that's been very hard for me to do. Like I said, because it feels like it feels like you're cheating. Yep, yep. But I also I I always tell anytime I have a new leader that's above me, I always tell them, 
hey, if me prioritizing my family ever becomes an issue, let me know and I'll quit. Yeah. You know, like, okay. and, and you know, it's they kind of laugh, but I'm like, for me, I've just realized I've watched too many people in ministry cheat their families out of the life they deserve because they they did it and they justified it by, well, I'm doing this for God, you know? Right, right. And, and God called you to your family first. You know, the church is important. What we do is, is life altering. It's important. What yeah. we do has to happen. But at the end of the day, what what good does it do if you see all these people come to salvation and your family is falling apart, you know? And so for yeah. me, I've always decided that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, my family's going to be my priority, you yeah. know, even when that sucks. <laughs> is that something that's been modeled at your church? Like as leadership, would you say like if you looked across the staff of your church that everybody's kind of living that way? Or is it something that you've really had to fight for yourself and implement yourself in spite of kind of what's going on in other people's lives? Yeah, it's definitely been hard. It's not necessarily, I don't want to say that it isn't modeled it's just different because the the people who were here for the longest time, we were the only young family. You know, like okay. right. our pastors' kids are teenagers. Most of the people on the executive team, their kids are teenagers. You know, like so they're they can drive, they do their own thing. You know, like we have specific family times, but it's not as vital as the like. You know, my daughter's three, so it's not as vital as that three-year-old stage where, like, we're, like every day is important. You know, yeah, like, yeah, if, yeah. if I don't spend time with my daughter today, she's going to feel like we haven't spent time together in weeks yeah, versus yeah. a teenager who's like, I'd be okay if I saw you <laughs> once a month, you know? like. <laughs> and so it's definitely been hard. It's definitely been something that, like, I've had to fight for. Okay. And there, there's been some battles along the way because there's been some, like, I think sometimes our the people who lead us are so far out of the like toddler years yeah, that they don't always remember sort of what it was like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like they, and, and not that they don't care, but it's, they're just in a different season of life. And so it's definitely been a battle. It's definitely been something that I've had to fight for. Yeah. I watch too many people's families and ministry suffer because, well, I'm, well, it's, it's about the kingdom, you know? And I'm like, right. so I wanted to make sure for me and my family that my family never, my family never hated the church because of my job. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really what it comes back to is I've watched people come on and off of our staff who they were so involved and so invested in Jesus and their families didn't care. And at the end of the day, it was because they were so invested at the church. They didn't invest at home and it led their family to hate church, yeah, you know, like, yeah. and so I think for me, that's always been a thing is I want my family to see me, to love me, to care about me, but I also want them to care about the church. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's not even just about valuing my family, but it's also about protecting how my family sees the church. Yeah. You know, they never see the church as what takes me away from them. Yeah. But it's something that we get to do, you know, together. Yeah. I think those years are so hard, you know, uh, being at home and, you know, there's so much to be done and a lot of it's yeah. nobody's thanking you for it. Your kids aren't thanking you. Your spouse isn't thanking you necessarily. And at work, I get people thanking me all the time. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it feels really good to like, oh, I checked something off the list and somebody said, thank you. And, or, you know, a service happened and people came up to the, you know, front of house and said, hey, great job and whatever. And yeah, at home, there's not, there's not too many people given a great job or a, you know, high five or whatever. It's just like, you know, if what we do as production people is invisible on a good day, you know, what we're doing at home is even more invisible. You know, it's like, it's like thankless and yeah, sometimes it's easier to stay at work. 
Yeah, I've definitely fought some seasons like that. Like I, I've definitely been through seasons where I was seeing results at work and I was seeing appreciation for those results. And so it made me want to stay at work yep. and not necessarily, you know, go home. Yeah. And a lot of that has been part of my like mental health and counseling journey because I realized that I was expecting things from my wife that I never communicated to her. Sure. And so like I've spent a lot of time figuring out the like, hey, you have to communicate what you need. And so like through that journey, there's been a lot of things, you know, of like just having someone tell you something isn't like if I spend all this money in a year paying for counseling, not to hear anything more than a counselor going, hey, that's not selfish. That's a human, that's a human need worth the money, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I, I feel, you know, it's, I think sometimes it takes someone else telling you like, Hey, that's okay Yeah. for you to believe it. And so for me, like a lot of that has been, Hey, Hey, no, it's okay for you to have, to have needs. And if you need for your spouse to give you, you know, like, and I think that's where the five love languages is important. Like knowing your love languages, knowing your spouse's love languages, yeah, yeah. But like my biggest, like, like words of affirmation is a big thing for me. Right. And so if I'm not receiving that at home and I'm getting it at work, I'm going to want to stay at work. Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa. If I'm not receiving that at work and I'm receiving it at home, I'm going to want to be at home more. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but even for me, it's been learning to sit down with the people who lead me to sit down with even my wife and say, Hey, I don't really feel loved in this season. Yeah. You know, I said, you know, there's been seasons where I've had to sit down with my wife. Like, I feel like I'm really doing a lot for our family in this season. And it's either been unnoticed or and I think a lot of times we write that off because it sounds prideful, yeah. like that I need acknowledgement for the things that I've done. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a need. It's a desire. Yeah. And so I can't expect my wife to do something that I haven't communicated to her. For sure. For sure. And so, yeah, learning for me, it's been the like, hey, I'm not getting this and I need a little bit more of it. Yeah, yeah. And your spouse loves you. Your bosses care about you. So usually it's like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize yeah. You know, like, and so I think that's the thing too. A lot of times we think people are like, well, you're not doing as much as you think, you know, like, but people yeah. don't react that way. It's like, Hey man, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for letting me know, you know? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think it's, it's so good to be verbal about what you need, whether it's at work or at home, because like you said, people don't necessarily know what you need. And my wife, when we first got married, she coined a term, like a <laughs> commandment of uh, being married was be verbal. You know, like you got to, <laughs> you got to talk. And it took us, yeah, a lot of years to kind of get to a place where we could That's the be one you verbal. put above the headboard. Yeah, be verbal without, be verbal. <laughs> yeah, be verbal without like destroying someone's feelings or whatever. But yeah, yeah if, I, if I don't know what you need, I don't know what you need. So like, right. uh, you got to tell me. Yeah, it's such good advice. Hey, man, thanks for being a part of our podcast today. This is uh, absolutely, I don't know that we talked about everything we were supposed to or whatever, <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, definitely interesting. I mean, I think a lot of, I'm sure you don't always get to no, the, we the don't. actual yeah. topic. Yeah. Well, the, just the idea of like, there's so many people with young families, so many people that are married, so many people struggling with mental health, like all the things we've talked about feel like, yeah. feel real to me, you know, in my season as much Absolutely. as they feel real to you. And we owe it to ourselves, to our church, to our families to be more intentional about how we take care of ourselves and how we spend yeah. our time and all the things we talked about. So thanks for being a part of the conversation. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Those were a lot of great tips in here. Whether you're married, single, 
you got young kids, old kids, whatever. And so much of what we talked about was around the idea of being intentional. You know, without some forethought, there's no way we can make a plan for time off or time with our families or how much time to spend at work. And one of the things we talked about that really helped my marriage was the idea of expectations on my time. You know, for me, dinner was always around 6 p.m. unless otherwise stated, and that meant something to me when I was at work. I gave my wife the confidence that I would actually be home by then instead of wondering when I might get there. And I had a conversation with my pastor one afternoon when he told me, you know, don't work too late. And after I told him I needed to be home by 6 for dinner, he mentioned that his dinner time was 5.30 and that he needed to get home. So for me, that was such a helpful interaction that even my pastor had boundaries set up for how much to work and when to get home and expectations for his family. In my conversation with Nathaniel, I was really surprised by, but I agree wholeheartedly with the idea of the five love languages. If you need something from your spouse or from work or your boss, you just need to let people know how you need it. What is the best way for you to be communicated with? It's so important. I mentioned in the podcast that I met Nathaniel during a Philo cohort back in 2021. And since those early days of the cohorts, we've expanded the number of groups we've offered and how we're offering them. And we've got a cohort led by Wes Harris for the last six weeks with 10 people from across the country, from churches of all sizes. And it's really been an amazing experience for everybody involved. And you can go to our website and see all the follow cohorts that will happen in 2024. And you can sign up for any of them now. And you can get that locked into your calendar. Going back to that idea of being intentional, this is a great intentional act you can do. Sign up for a cohort now. Um, Our next cohort starts in April, right after Easter, so you can check out the show notes for a link to register. All right, thanks a bunch for listening. Don't forget to register for the Philo Conference coming up in a few months. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at at Community to stay up to date on everything going on with Philo. Again, thanks for listening, and until next time. 